Welcome to the She Wore Black podcast. I'm Agatha Andrews. Today I chat with Brianna Una McGunkin about her kink positive gothic suspense novel, On Good Authority. If you are listening to this in proximity of children and are not yet ready to answer questions about kink, I suggest you listen with earbuds. Though not explicit, this conversation is honest, and it was wonderful to chat with someone who wrote about it so beautifully. You can order On Good Authority using my bookshop.org link to support the show, as well as independent bookstores nationwide. That's at bookshop.org slash shop slash She Wore Black. You can also help out the show by following She Wore Black on Twitter and Instagram and leaving me a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining me today. Now, on to the show. I think that um, what people think is the easiest question is probably the hardest, which is, you know, can you please just briefly describe your book? And it's like, no, (laughs) but I've I've been practicing, so. Well, I'm going to keep that in because that's adorable. And... (laughs) And so with that, Brianna, I would like to say welcome to the show. Can you please tell us about this gorgeous, gorgeous novel? You've been practicing. I have been practicing. (laughs) This is the hard question. Okay, so On Good Authority is a Victorian Gothic novel in which a lady's maid is uh, just arriving at this manor house called Valor Rise to serve as lady's maid. And she's, her whole thing is all she wants is to be a good person, to come out of this place where she's come from. She was raised up in a workhouse. She landed there because of the sins of her parents. Uh, They failed to pay their taxes. And she develops from that experience, this mistrust of what it is that it is to be a good person because she was getting that from her parents and that landed her in this London workhouse. She wants to be better than that. Um, The problem being that her first day at Valorize doesn't go so well. She upsets her mistress, first of all, and then the master of the house is also mad because he didn't expect her to be there. And she's so desperate to rectify this situation, to keep her job, that when he tries to take advantage of her, uh, she doesn't even really realize what's going on until it's too late. And she feels uh, complicit in what just happened to her, in his attacking her. And the other servants really reinforce that idea. Um, And so it rocks her world again about you know what is good what is what is bad how do I be a good person um and of course I missed something but when she was in the workhouse she learned to be better through this friend who was also trying to be better than his parents they would reenact their parents arrests and try to believe in justice it was like a Victorian version Mm -hmm. of, of cops and robbers Um, And so that brings him in doubt. And as things are getting worse in this house, he shows up as also hired as a servant to the house. So, um, you know, it's, it's a, we know that, that Bornholt is, is the jerk of the situation, but she doesn't. And so that's where we're, we're kind of starting from. 
you just touched on something that was really very interesting to me as far as their childhood game of cops and robbers, her and Valentine's um, was just Mary. Her name is Marion. So Marion and Valentine's game of cops and robbers that they played when they were children was like their way of processing their trauma. And I think that's true for a lot of child play when they're trying to get answers to questions they don't understand you know about their own world about the world they live in or their own personal like their microcosm within their home you know they're trying to process a lot um tessa dare did a really good job in the governess game with you know the children working out what had happened to them by their, one of their dolls would die every day and they'd have a funeral for their doll. And it was like, and it's hilarious in her book because it's Tessa Dare, but it's also very heartfelt because we see, I mean, that's one of the ways that we're endeared to the hero, right? He's very accommodating for the daily funeral in that particular book. So I just, you know, I don't think we see it often enough where we see like childhood reactions to their own trauma that then turn into something that imprints on them for the rest of their life, you know, and they, and it starts through play. And I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. And that actually comes from, that was the seed for this book. Mm. And it comes from a game that I used to play when I was a kid. Um, and I was always the criminal. And part of my, when I was arrested, my torture was that I had to put my hands under the dryer vent of the condo where we lived. Um, <laughs> we all have awful. things. Because <laughs> just brace yourself. I have my own. So. <laughs> um so yeah when I was a kid it was the 80s right it was the 70s and 80s and okay so (laughs) kids going growing up now have an entirely different weird world that they're living in but we had like everything was orphans so we did a lot of like Annie or just kind of orphan play um because it was Annie and Webster and like you know all the different strokes all these things and then um nuclear holocaust was something that was like a very real threat for us and so we basically played survivors which was you know what we would do in in a post-nuclear holocaust world um so we played that like that was our favorite thing to play i mean talk about trying to process what's happening right um and then on the like the i guess the easiest thing that we would play is that blue lagoon was also a thing so we would always play like we were stranded on a deserted island (laughs) with long flowing brook shields locks (laughs) but it was all that same idea Yes. And what, what you just triggered in my brain was, um, it seems morbid on the surface, maybe, um, those kinds of things, but actually there's a, the comfort in it is that you are not, you're not focused on this terrible scenario that you've created. You're focused on, okay, how can I prepare for this situation? It's surviving Um, it. Yes. What control do I have? If I practice this, then when it happens to me, maybe I'll be okay. Yep, that's exactly what it is. And so I thought that was really a wonderful way to approach this concept of BDSM or kink, because 
you know, there's everyone I know who's ever been very open with me about that conversation has all talked about like how it's always been there or that there were roots in their childhood mind in some way that ultimately they can look back on and go, I think that's where it started, you know, and, and, and it's not even a bad thing. Cause that was one of the things that I loved about your book is that there, there was a lot of conversation about shame and sin, like, you know, and trying to, to understand her role in that or her place in that, you know, um, trying to understand like, well, I deserve this or I don't deserve that because I'm a bad person. Like I know that these are Victorian morals, but they're still very current morals too. We're still grappling with judgment and shame, um, over like fundamental desire. And I thought that was interesting because this book is not about sex. It's about desire and shame and, and who we are and a lot of other things, but it's not about sex. Yeah. I made a very conscious decision not to have sex on the page, not because I don't like it. I used to, I have literally thousands of pages of, um, Rocky Horror Pirates of the Caribbean crossover fanfic that is explicitly sexual, like all sorts of stuff. Like what I, I wouldn't that. give to see it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was it was pretty fun. It was Frankenfurter um, hooking nice. up with 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 Jack Sparrow because <laughs> come on, yeah, on. that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and and I think you can see a little Frankenfurter in Valentine Hobbs. But anyway, <laughs> um you know, I'm, I love, I'm not uncomfortable writing sex, but I really wanted to, to focus on how is it that people end up wanting kink? Where, where does this come from? Because I think a lot of people have a misconception that it's misogynistic. It's, it's about wanting to hurt women, or it's about thinking that you deserve to be hurt on Mm -hmm. the other side, or, um, you know, it's, it's either, oh, you must hate yourself or, oh, you must not like your sexual partners. Like the, like there must be some kind of unexamined aspect of you. Um, but I really wanted to look at how could this be comforting? How could this be catharsis? Because I mean, it when I say it's coming of age kink that I want to focus on the emotional build, um, that this could be a fulfilling thing because uh, we don't get enough of that. I, a lot of people are already jumping to the conclusion that because it's a BDSM book, that must mean it's erotica and it's really not. It's not at all. Um, and that is something that I felt like it was important to say is that you can be kink positive without necessarily, it's about the conversation. It's not mm-hmm. about you know, it's not 50 shades and it's not meant to be. And 50 shades has its place, but that's not what this is. It's an entirely different book. And I also loved how like just throughout the entire text, what you did was you evoked desire and you evoked reflection in just subtle ways. You know, even like you could have like three words strung together or something, and it would still communicate this message. And it's still sexy, even whenever it's about contemplation, 
you know what I mean? When it, when it's not necessarily about the act of sex itself, you know, she's looking at herself in the mirror and really thinking about this is after she's been, um, you know, assaulted by the man of the house. And so she's looking and thinking like, is it my fault? Could he see something in me? Is it, you know, is, is it because I'm bad? And she's looking in the mirror and she says, there was no way to hold my lips that did not seem suggestive. Nothing could turn my mouth from what it was, soft, pliable, not quite pink, a private part of myself stuck right to my face. Now, we all know what that is. We've all, you know, we all know what that is. And it, it was a perfect way to talk about like her experience uh, that women go through all the time, you know, and me too has only brought about this concept of, you know, blaming ourselves in the context of men's behavior. And I just thought this was amazing. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think that's the key to, to making it modern or, or bringing this Victorian story forward, right? Is that sure it's a historical, but <laughs> we're still grappling with this same thing of like, how am I supposed to exist in a way that does not invite um, danger when everything about me is sexualized. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I mean, we, and we, when you look at like anybody who's ever read like Desmond Morris's The Naked Ape or taken any anthropology class at all, we talk about like external subconscious triggers and, and, you know, our lips obviously being one of them, but you know, that's why we wear lipstick um, to kind of accentuate that feature. And so I, I thought that was really interesting, you know, that this was included and it was beautifully written and it was, it's saying the thing we know it's, it's alluding to without saying it, you know, and I think a lot of that was in this book. And you, um, you also said later on, kind of about the same thing you said it was awful as a thinking feeling being to have one's obvious discomfort blatantly ignored by another that to me was touching on another big theme of this book and something that I think is still misconstrued about kink in general which is that consent is so important oh yeah I don't yeah. know if you want to speak to that but I just thought it was really well done throughout the entire novel Thank you so much because I, the only, you know, you have to be really careful about why it is that you're including um, abuse on the page, especially sexual abuse, yes. because so many, so many people are, um, they've had those experiences, right? We've all had someone come in and say, look to your left, look to your right. Um, one of those people has experienced some kind of sexual aggression. Um, and yeah. so you, I really had to weigh whether it was necessary for that to be part of this story. Um, and I, I really think it is because a lot of people, because of pop culture, it's not their fault. It's our misunderstanding of BDSM in general as a wider culture, think that, that, they're, that they're close together, BDSM and abuse, that, that some people think that BDSM is abuse. But there is such a clear line mm -hmm. between the two things. And that line is consent. 
And the this is where I think it's important for people to understand that this will appeal to the romance community as well, because the romance community really cares about consent, you know, in the last, you know, 10, 15 years or however many years, you know, people often think of the bodice rippers from the seventies and eighties, you know, but that's, and, and I've talked about this on the, on the show several times, um, because those were, those were also adhering to publisher expectations of, of how, and of how women could write sex, you know, um, and, and a lot of times those in power in publishing were male. So we, you know, as much as romance was written for women, there was still an element of the male lens they had to work through, but that's really something that writers have gotten away from. And there, I mean, the term consent boner is very familiar in the romance community. Um, because never heard that term. Oh yes. Well, the whole idea too, is that, or something that I think about is that, you know, some people who aren't romance readers will think, well, how can, I mean, worrying about writing consent isn't sexy where, and you know, it is, you can't, the thing is, is like, that's part of the appeal of the hero or, or whoever yeah. the partner is, you know, if male or female, that's part of the appeal of the, of, of the romance in general is the development of a relationship between two people who understand each other completely, you know, and who come to the table meeting each other where they're at. And that's like so sexy. Yeah. That's my that's my favorite thing about kink too, is that it really is sex theater. Yeah. Right. And so like if kink people can teach you anything, it's how to make checking for consent sexy or like making sure that someone's still in a space where they want to do the thing that you agreed that you would do without without breaking character. Like you can just say like, I want to whatever, or like, I'm going to do this now and wait Mm -hmm. for the response. And like, oh my God, asking for consent is great. You just have to integrate it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, people have worried about that too with, um, and not so much in the romance community with regard to um, like protection, sexual protection. Um, and when, uh, because when, you know, you're dealing with relationships, if you're going to be honest about dating and what sex looks like and, and all of that, and what each other's needs are, you know, contraception is going to be part of that conversation. And so people are really wanting to read that on the page and are actually feeling like if it's not there, they feel kind of grossed out. And that has a lot to do with speaking to the bigger conversation. The whole, the whole connection is not there. Yeah. When, when people say they don't necessarily need to see it, it's usually in reference to historical fiction, knowing that the accuracy of a medieval relationship is not necessarily going to be quite as committed. However, you do have people, Gothic romance writer, uh, for example, Diana Biller did a gorgeous job of, I mean, she made it a part of the foreplay, you know, in her Victorian era historical fiction. And that happens. There's other historical writers doing beautiful jobs with that too. So it's not even just a contemporary thing. Um, and so, you know, it, it's something that people question whether or not it can be done if they're not part of the community. But this is why I often say like with Gothic or even with people trying to write horror mance, if they're trying to incorporate any element of romance at all, or any element of erotica at all, it would be great if they read more of that genre so that they can see how often that's a part of the conversation, unless they're using it as a 
for fear, that's entirely different. Like marionette yeah. is an entirely different audience. Um, but on that subject, if you don't mind, I'd like to read most of a page um, that you wrote with regard to, I mean, it's one of the hottest pages I've read in a very long time, but we're not, it, it, it's not about the sex. It's about everything leading. You know what I mean? Like it's about getting that connection with that other person in the same way that we're talking about, like the consent, meeting that person where they are, et cetera. And one of the things that's been difficult for Marion and Valentine in this story has been like, if Valentine accidentally touches her in a way that is similar to the assault that she experienced with regard to if he runs his fingers through her hair, it triggers her like, oh, he, that other man pulled my hair. Um, and it's Bornholt. I keep saying that other man, but I don't even want to say it. Let's see. I'm about to struggle with what she's about to struggle with. Yeah. <laughs> but um, He doesn't deserve a name. <laughs> but, um, but it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we've all kind of experienced that at some point too, like it, an unexpected trigger. Right. Um, and the thing that I want to say about this too, is that this is always who Valentine was, even as children, he would always kind of, when they're playing cops and robbers and not doing anything even remotely sexual, he still seeks consent for her from her mm -hmm. on their play, you know? So even when what they're doing is just basic kid stuff, it's important to him that she's okay with everything that's happening. And so I loved seeing that translate into adulthood you know? So yeah. before you read it, I just want to say yeah. something about, about that, which is his checking for consent with her. It, I wanted it to be clear that he knows that she's his friend, that this yes. therapy, that this therapeutic activity would not be possible without her. So while it is, it is um, a power play that they're acting out, he's never lost sight of the fact that it's not like it's not I'm on borrowed time but it is this has value right this is yes. something that I don't have with anybody else and so I have to make sure that she's okay because if not I'm gonna lose this thing that I need that we built together yeah no that's a beautiful way to say that that's absolutely true and I love how you nurtured that throughout the entire story, whether it's reflecting on their childhood or as adults, you know? So if anybody's listening and have children in the car or something, maybe not this moment. <laughs> he swallowed. I don't want to take anything from you. You don't want me to have Marion. Oh, I should probably set this up with they're in a barn and he's against a pole, like a I guess a, a pillar of some sort, you know, and, uh, he, they're about to in, kind of indulge in this, in this, I guess this is the foreplay of it, if you will. <laughs> so I stared wondering at the warning edge of his voice as if he worried that I hadn't had enough time to think this through finally something I knew and he didn't, I came forward and bent to his, to whisper in his ear. It's all yours. He tilted his head back, shutting his eyes. Not yet, it isn't. I put my lips close to his, trying to tempt him, but his eyes stayed closed. 
Great coat incident aside, he said, I have no desire to be like him. I know that. I spoke against his mouth as he had done to me. So he pressed his head back against the post away from me. If the resemblance ever gets too close for comfort, you will say his name and I will stop whatever I'm doing. Is that understood? I shook my head. Oh, Valentine, but promise me. I put my palms out. All right. But still, he didn't open his eyes. Let me hear you say it. But I need to know you can, if you need to. I took a breath. Bornhold. Good girl. Valentine lunged and we went down together. His hair falling into his eyes, he rewarded me with his weight, his mouth, a kiss deep enough to drown in. I sink willingly to its very bottom. That was amazing, Brianna. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Oh, that was amazing. But that goes back to that being so central to everything between them. And it introduces the concept of safe word in a Victorian times. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Snuck that in there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, I think you have a lot of things to say. I mean, there's, um, you also had something interesting to say. Let me pull up the page that was about the general idea of power in society. Um, and so I thought that was interesting and that's on page 238. I'm going to read, um, where he, where Valentine and her are having, um, you know, they're basically about to, to take off, um, in a situation that's happened and she wants to tell the truth to the lady of the house, but he says to tell the truth is a privilege. Don't you see it comes with the money, the suits, dot 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 he decides whether he is a good man or a bad one your opinion may contradict his but it will be wrong that's your inheritance as a woman of no means to be wrong at the convenience of your betters well-off people aren't in a position of power because they're good they got that power first and decided what goodness was with it chose the things they like the things that separate them from us and i thought that was also like other big commentary that you had um that that was really interesting. And certainly a lot of people can relate to that people of color, you know, women in general, like people in a, you know, on the lower socioeconomic rung will all be able to relate to that. I hope so. Um, And once you decide, you know, what goodness is, what success looks like, um, it's just this self-perpetuating thing that you teach everybody that and then they look for it and it's going to tilt toward men, toward white people. Um, And it's just really frustrating. And, you know, that's internalized in me. That's something that I have to work on every day that I have to remember. So Brianna, this is a very, when I say a very big book, I don't mean page numbers. I'm talking about, it has a lot to say. So what did writing this mean to you? And what does it mean to you that other people are about to read all the things that this quiet librarian has to say? <laughs> um, I just am excited that people might, that people will read it. I am excited by the idea that people might go in thinking, okay, it's a Gothic romance, but it's also kind of like a philosophical novel. I. And I, I do, I have an undergrad in philosophy um, 
I, I just, I want to talk about this stuff. I don't, I don't really have a, another way to do it. This is my way to do it. Um, and I just, I'm not saying that like none of this stuff has been said before, but it, there's something rewarding about joining the conversation yes. finally. I think you're joining the conversation in a big way. So, I mean, I, I really, really hope that people pick, pick up this book. It's absolutely gorgeous. And I love the idea. I was telling my husband, I was like, I love the idea. You know, I, I was a librarian. I love that you're this quiet librarian with all these huge things to say, and you're using kink as a way to say it like it's it's sort of what people think librarians are when they fantasize about us and then it's also what they never expect us to actually say so that's right that's right I am the exemplar of the fantasy sexy librarian absolutely absolutely and I love this I'm like see it's real we are these people um but where do you see this book place? Like I, you know, you and I had a conversation, like I was talking about like really wanting people in the romance community to read this as much as I want people in the horror community to read it because it is a proper Gothic. How do you it's, feel the, do, what part of the world do you think is ready for you is where I guess I'm going. <laughs> if Rebecca was a genre. There you go. <laughs> nice. If, Re if Rebecca was an entire genre. Uh, that would be this book. And, and well, the other thing that I say is like the social commentary of Tess of the D'Urbervilles nice. and then, and then the movie secretary uh, with Maggie Gyllenhaal. Wow. Um, because, because there's another one that um, is not a very graphically sexual book. I think the only time she's naked is at the end and it's a non, it's not, they're not having sex. It's mm -hmm. a bath. Um, but yeah, it's it's that. It's um it is definitely gothic romance. It is definitely romantic suspense. It's just um it's not it's not a sex book, it's not erotica, it's emotional kink. It's yes. what is the mental what is the relationship bond of kinky people? That's what it is. I think that even without sex being on the page. And I love that you talk about how that was intentional, not because you're embarrassed by it, but because of, of the role that it plays. And here's something that I noticed as I read, you know, it is absolutely a proper Gothic, proper Gothic romance. And a lot of times, most of the time, you will see some sort of supernatural question, whether or not it's act supernatural actually happens. Like there's always kind of this question, like what's going on? You don't have that. But what you do have is the characters being haunted by shame, by a lack of power, you know, and like, that's their ghost. Yeah, there is a brief appearance of a ghost, maybe, maybe during Marion's. But it's not uh, a, like a fundamental, that's not what she's thinking about in the book. That's not what, yeah. you know what I mean? They're haunted by so much, but you know, the question of whether or not there's a ghost walking down the hall is not it. Right, right. No, it's whether it's whether Marion can trust herself. It's whether yeah. Marion can live with herself. She is haunted by herself. And Valentine, too, by, the, very by, the, by the time Bornholt gets to him. I mean, I even stuck in some top drop, which is when dominants um, feel guilt for what they've done after a scene. 
even though it was all consensual and, you know, the person seems fine and, and, you know, you'll just have these moments of, am I, am I bad? Um, you know, I, I, I stuck that in there as best I could to work with within the plot. Um, yeah. No, you did. A, that was absolutely beautiful. And I can think of those specific moments that you're, you're talking about that in, and, and it was so beautifully done. Like everything about this book was so beautifully done and the language and the prose, like, I want to say, you know, so many things about the gorgeous writing, but I also know that sometimes people get intimidated by that. And what I want people to know is that it's such a page turner. It's so readable. And I felt, okay, talk about guilt. I felt guilt with how fast I was like, because I was like, oh, I want to keep reading. I have to know what happens next. This is like such a pleasure to flip every single page, but it's also like so beautiful. And I think we'll challenge all of us to want to be good writers. <laughs> Thank so. you. Thank you so much. How was the process for you? I mean, I've read your short fiction. This is a long piece. What was that transition like? Um, well, I jumped into an MFA program because I knew that I wanted to write a book and I knew that what I needed to be able to actually finish a book was for someone to be on me about it and say, you need to get this done. Um, and it took me several semesters to get 30,000 words in. And then I was headed into my last semester, penultimate semester, and I was going to be working with a mentor um, on the last of the book. And I was thinking, oh, I'll have this one last semester to finish it off. And she said, um, I prefer to use this stage in a writer's critique for, for their work for revision, not drafting. So if you can, I would really prefer it if, if you get the first draft written before we meet. And I had a month. Um, and I just said, Brianna, you got to do it. You're yeah. paying the money to get to, to do this MFA, just do it. And it changed my goal from writing it well to yeah. writing it and, and really reassured me that no matter what it, what it ended up being on the other side of that month, I was going to have this revision period with this person. So it didn't matter if it was a mess. Um, and, and I finally did it. I finally wrote a book. <laughs> I think one of the things that you're talking about, there's something I struggle with, um, and, and I know a lot of people do, is, and I will say that particularly conversations that people of color have with each other is, is we have our conversations about like, we're not allowed to debut with anything less than perfection. And so we have like one shot. And I think that can intimidate people into not writing. And I mean, I, it's paying for an MFA, going through all the MFA. I'm sure you felt like, okay, this is, what, <laughs> this is what it's all for. You know, it better be the best thing I can do. And so that can inhibit writing. But I love that you're talking about just getting it done was the first half of that battle. Yeah, especially, and that's hard, especially for me, a person who, likes a pretty sentence and if the sentence isn't pretty I really want to just fix the sentence until like I can't write the next sentence this one's broken <laughs> I suffer from that so much you would not believe how much I suffer from that in fact I'm going to pull out one of your pretty sentences right now while you're telling us about that 
on page 114. Um, and mind you, it was a real struggle to not highlight this whole book. But um, I loved how even something simple, like there was no answer, but the thunders rolling laugh, the joke being that I was all alone and talking to myself, like, you know, a storm's rolling in. And that's, again, it's just a storm and reflection, like all of these things are happening in one sentence, and it's gorgeous, but you're not, the reader is not they're at once mesmerized by the language, but they're not held down by it. It's so compelling. You want to keep moving forward. So congratulations. I'm just so excited. I want everyone picking this up. <laughs> I'm really glad to hear you say that because that is a big fear is, you know, did I, huh, you don't want to write purple. Right. I know what you mean. You want a nice lilac. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, but the thing is, is that everything served a purpose. There are no wasted words, you know, to make it purple. You know what I mean? Sometimes people get flowery and it's verbose unnecessarily, but there's no wasted words here. Everything is exactly as it should be. And I think I learned through that process, the MFA process, that, that if you do draft purple, if you, I say that I have Oscar Wilde on my shoulder when I'm drafting. Um, That's adorable. <laughs> because like, he's just like, no, more flowery. <laughs> like, it's fine. It's lovely. Um, yeah. But you can, you can prune it back later. You yeah. can, you know, it's, it doesn't matter. Write however you write and then fix it later. Is there anything that you want to say about the book that we haven't touched on yet? You know, I do have one thing and it is about the power thing and what this book means to me and, and my relationship with control is, uh, and it, it gets into how I got involved with kink and it gets into how Marion and Valentine get involved with kink. Um, and it's that I do have cerebral palsy. And when I was a kid, I started writing because it was really hard to play in my body with other people, but it was very easy to play on the page. It was very, you know, I was writing all the time in notebooks. And then uh, once we had a computer, I treated Microsoft Word like a, like a game. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, you know, I, I learned all the, the stuff in there. And I, I wrote my first book. Uh, I must have been 10 or 11. And like, I, I just spent all my free time downstairs on the computer typing away. Um, and there's something about that, that, you know, as a disabled person, especially as a disabled child, and like you really want people to understand you, you want to have some control, like every kid wants more control. They, they don't have many choices, they don't have many decisions, but as a disabled kid, that's magnified further. Um, but writing stories, I had ultimate control. Nothing happened that I didn't okay first, and I could reimagine situations in the ways that they should have gone or could have gone or what would have pleased me and I think that that was so therapeutic and I think that that's at the core of Valentine and Marion's relationship too and I think that's own voices like um I've had people ask me you know are there any marginalized voices in your book or and you know I say well I am I'm disabled but this is not a disability book um but in a way that is at the core of this, mm -hmm. uh, that that's where the, 
the taking of control really helps because you need, you need it if you don't have it. Yeah. So there's, it's like a, it's like an Easter egg that it is a little bit rep disability rep. It's just, it, it came out of me. It's not in the story, but it's there in me. Mm-hmm. Well, it's beautiful. I, I really, really want uh, people like I'm giddy about this in a way that I, that I am about few books. You know, I love a lot of things, but I really, really love this book. And I really, I've been a fan of your short fiction. And so I knew I was in for a treat and I knew that this would also tick a lot of boxes for me. Um, but I think it will actually tick boxes for most people. You know, I think I, what I don't want is for people to be afraid to read it, maybe embarrassed about their themselves, because it's not about, like I said, it's not even about the sex. And if it was, that would be okay too. That kind of book. And I'm hoping you write one. (laughs) I'm gonna. I, I hope so, because I'm like, you would be very good at it. I mean, I, I understand why the sex was not on the page, but I'm like, that would have been great. <laughs> oh, now I'm saying that because you were so effective at every single moment that Marion and Valentine shared having value that I wanted to see what you would do with them with sex on the page, because I know that every moment that you would put on the page of their scene would have value and it was just like wow she would this would be amazing and I think that was part of why it it couldn't be on the page for this book either because they're so fledgling in their exploration of sexuality because of where they are and because they're you know they're taking baby steps like the actual sex in the stable probably wouldn't have been very exciting like it's very momentous for Marion, but but we don't necessarily need to see it. Like it's not a, a forward moving moment. Um, the moment that's forward moving is before and after. But uh, the next book. Oh, good. <laughs> um, the next book I'm doing uh, is another romantic suspense. We're in 19th century Dublin this time. Ooh. And I have some... Trinity College student professor situation. Um, and and we're going we're gonna to go on the page for that. <laughs> you're going to give us, you're going to give us that. No, I, again, I think this book is perfect the way it is. I mean, you know, I, of course it would be fun, you know, to, to see like maybe where they are in their thirties, you know, whatever, but <laughs> But I'm so excited that you're already working on something else because I'm, I really feel like this is going to go places, ladies. So I'm very excited for you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate all of the, the encouragement and the, the support you have been Aww. just right there from the moment that you found out that I existed. And I'm very grateful. We have to champion these things. We have to champion the things that we want, right? So, mm-hmm. and this is something I wanted. So thank you for putting it out there in the world. And thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us today on She Wore Black. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter if you follow the links on our website at sheworeblackpodcast.com. We have some great episodes coming your way, so be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. You can also support the podcast by shopping at our online bookstore at bookshop.org slash shop slash she wore black. 
Every purchase you make through our storefront, be it the books on my lists or any books you find in a search from our front page, will support the cost that goes into show production as well as supporting independent bookstores nationwide. Thanks again for joining us today and happy reading. Thank you.